0: Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, Executive Director and Chief Storyteller for the Reclamation Society, and usually the host of this podcast, but not today. Today, Daryl Smith is taking over for me as a guest host. Uh, and you know Daryl, because he's been on our Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and Suicide Squad podcasts. He and I have analyzed all of those films. And if you listen to those, which if you haven't, you should... You know he is an awesome addition to our podcasting team, so I hope that he does some more guest hosting in the future. Also, you may have noticed that we changed the name of the podcast. The Reclamation Society podcast by the Reclamation Society was a bit redundant. So from now on, this podcast will be known as the Story Geeks podcast, and I'll give you the full story behind that name change in next week's podcast. In today's episode, though, Daryl and his guest, Justin Weaver, will be reviewing and discussing Josh Whedon's film, Serenity. Daryl and Justin will start the podcast with a spoiler-free review of Serenity, and then they'll dive deep into the story, the characters, and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the film. If you haven't seen the film, stick around for the review, and then you can jump off if you prefer. Before I let Daryl take over, let me say a quick thank you for joining us and give you a quick reminder to subscribe. If you're already a subscriber and a frequent listener, thank you for being a part of the Reclamation Society. To learn more about this podcast and all the other stuff we do, be sure to check out ReclamationSociety.org. There's a link in the show notes. I also want to let you know that we are coming out with a new Western sci-fi fantasy steampunk story. So if you're a fan of the Dark Tower series, you will probably dig this story. We've been working really hard on it, and we're going to release it soon. So if you're interested in at all in that, please go to the website, reclamationsociety.org, and subscribe to our email so that we can let you know when it's available. With all of that, I will turn the show over to Daryl Smith and Justin Weaver.
1: Well, hello everybody, my name is Daryl Smith, and uh, if you don't know me, I have appeared on the Story Geeks podcast a few times now, but I am really excited now to be stepping in as a second host. So uh, right off the bat, let me just say a huge thank you to Jay Shear, who is the Executive Director of the Reclamation Society. Um, I am honored to be able to do this. Uh, Jay and I have been friends for a long time, And I really believe in what the Reclamation Society is doing, and I'm excited to be a part of it. So, welcome to the Story Geeks podcast. I will be your host, Daryl Smith. And I'm also very excited about this one because I get to share this with a good friend of mine by the name of Justin Weaver. Hello, Justin. Hello, Daryl. Justin uh, kind of lives in two worlds. Justin is a geek. And Justin is a pastor. He has studied theology. Uh, he has studied entertainment. He loves movies. He loves comic books. Um, he is a Disney cast member. He loves
2: Disney. Am I allowed to say that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Especially if my bosses are listening, I do love Disney. Yes.
1: Yeah. For real. He's not just saying it. Um, so welcome, Justin. Thanks for doing this with me. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, I am excited because of what we get to talk about here. We are going to be talking about Serenity, which is Joss Whedon's sci-fi classic. Um, Kind of a rare movie because this movie came about because people loved the TV series Firefly so much and were so angered that it got canceled before its time that they actually rallied together and somehow got a studio to agree to make this movie. So... This is a pretty rare film. I think by far it's Joss Whedon's best movie. Sorry, all you Avengers fans out there. Um, So we're going to dive into it. And let me say right off the bat, um, spoiler warning. If you haven't seen this movie, go see it first and then come back and listen to this because we are going to spoil probably pretty much everything.
2: Yeah, and even more specifically, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch the whole TV show and then the movie. Yes. And then come back and listen to this.
1: Because what are you even
2: doing? All right.
1: Um, Okay, well, hey, Justin, let's dive in. And the first thing we always do here on the Story Geeks podcast is we start off with sort of a review of the movie. And we have a few different rating systems that we use to do that. Uh, one of them is a quality rating, one is a story depth rating, and then one is a likelihood to refer. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and start off with the quality rating. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the quality of Serenity?
2: And before we were recording, I was telling you how much I hate putting numerical values to these <laughs> movies, but in order to keep consistency for this podcast, I am going to say an 8, That which You have nothing to compare that to for me because I have never given numbers on this podcast before, but that's very high. I'm not giving it a 10 because I don't feel like it's a perfect movie. Um, I start comparing it to some of my other all-time favorites, and it just doesn't measure up in a couple of ways, Um, but I think it's a very good, solid movie, so I'm giving it an 8. Cool. I'm going to go a little higher than
1: you. I'm going to go with a 9. Um, I think it is a near-perfect movie. I, I love this movie. I think one of the areas that it suffers in is if you haven't seen Firefly, the TV series, it's not like you don't know what's going on, but there's a little bit of the gravity and the weight that's lost on you. As a standalone film, I think it falters a little bit there, but I love the story. I love these characters. We'll talk more about characters later, but specifically the operative I love, which is a character that's not in the TV series. So yeah, I went with a nine. So how about
2: story depth? Scale of one to 10, how would you rate the depth of this story? This is where I did give it a 10. I think that Joss Whedon is an incredible storyteller. I think that he told this story um, on a number of levels, uh, very intimate, uh, personal stories of a couple characters, but then also on a huge scale, um, leveling up to, News that will rock the verse and uh, a battle in space that takes place between two giant armies. Um, So just that he can tell the story on so many levels and make it matter on all those levels is incredible to me. And I could sing Joss Whedon's praises all night long.
1: Totally. I think um, I was actually surprised. I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. And when I went back to watch it to do this podcast... I was like, oh man, there really is a lot in this one. So, I agree. 10 out of 10. Right there with you. Okay, how about likelihood to refer it? 1 to 10.
2: Uh, I'm going to give this two different answers. Uh, Just (laughs) likelihood to (laughs) refer it to someone? 10, absolutely. I I stand (laughs) behind this movie. But... Just because I am a pastor, there are certain circles I run in that not everyone I know would enjoy some of the content of this movie, so I'd lower it to maybe a 6 or a 7, but I have referred this movie to probably more people than I've referred any movie just because not everyone knows about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I said 10 out of
1: 10. Um, That's my only answer. I don't have two answers. Oh, there you go. So just 10 out of 10. Um, I think it's great, and then if people love it, there's a whole TV series that they can go and check out, too. There's 13 episodes more of greatness, so
0: I'm with you there. Hey, guys. Pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, You save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Okay, so uh, why don't we start moving into some of our more in-depth discussion let's start with characters uh who do you think is your favorite character in this movie there's so many to choose from this is what sorry this is what joss whedon is great at is these ensemble films right or even ensemble anything whatever he's making you go all the way back to buffy the vampire slayer or anything now the avengers he's just so good at handling so many characters so how do you pick a favorite
2: uh it's easy you just say malcolm reynolds that's that's how you pick a favorite. Um Mal is the uh primary uh protagonist through the show and the movie. Um well you can make a really solid, solid argument that River is the primary uh protagonist <laughs> through the movie. But um I love Malcolm Reynolds. I, I um have heard other people compare him to kind of an alternate version of Han Solo, and Han Solo is my favorite character in the Star Wars universe um so mal and as a geek you're supposed to love nathan fillion absolutely it's just part guy, of your duty he is hilarious <laughs> whenever you get to see him uh in some of the backstage uh yeah. behind the scenes film uh and he just delivers uh the serious lines and the comedic lines with just a great <laughs> he's yeah. just wonderful yeah
1: Uh so i'm gonna throw out a surprising answer I'm going to say the operative, mm. which is a little controversial because what he's what the only character in this movie that wasn't in the TV series.
2: Yeah, aside from like Mr. Universe and Fanty and Mingo. Right,
1: right, right. But that's what impresses me so much about him is that he's an external character that was inserted into this world that people already love. And to me, he totally stands up. I think he's one of the most interesting villains I've ever seen in any movie. Um, So I'm totally intrigued by him. So, yeah, we'll get in a little bit more on the specific characters in a little bit. But just anything else to add
2: in that area for you? I just want to say what you were saying about how uh, many great characters there are. And I think that Joss Whedon was chosen to direct The Avengers, which was only his second film yeah. that he directed yeah. firefly being yeah, the first. He was mostly
1: a tv and comic guy
2: yeah. yeah just because he had demonstrated his ability to handle so many characters well and make the dialogue work and make the story go forward with all of them um so i think that this is in many ways a, a precursor to the avengers films uh not in the same universe but just in uh artistic feel and just uh, ability to handle that many good characters.
1: Yeah, and just kind of showing the world that it can be done, you know? Because in the past, it's been hard enough to handle one superhero in a movie and to prove that you can handle, what was it, six? Six or seven? Yeah, it was impressive. Um, Okay, let's talk about some of the themes in this movie. Um, For me, as I was watching it, the things that I kept coming back to uh, were belief and truth, mm. um, and kind of the interaction between those two. So, talk to me a little bit about that. How, how do you how do you
2: see those two interacting in the film? So this is one of the many reasons I appreciate Joss. Um, he and I differ in what we believe about the world, but I still find what he has to say as interesting. Um, and I wish I could sit down and just pick this guy's brain. Um, so when we come to truth, I hold to what would be considered the correspondence theory of truth or the correspondence view of truth, which means that truth corresponds to reality. An example is like, if it's raining outside, it's raining. It doesn't matter what you think, feel, what you have heard from other people, what you wish were happening, it's actually raining outside, that's the truth. Yep. Um, whereas um, there are other views of truth where it's kind of like, hey, your truth is fine, your truth is fine, just don't hurt other people and you can believe whatever you want. Right. Um, so Joss and I approach truth differently. Um, and it comes to a head for me when Shepard book, in his dying moments, yeah. uh, tells uh, Captain Mal, uh, you know, I don't care what you believe, just believe it. Which is hard for me, as we get into character. Shepard book's a Christian, you know. He yeah. he should hold to a correspondence view of truth, um, just with that worldview. Um, but uh, he's encouraging Mal to just believe something. So there there is a a real relation between truth and belief in this show and in this movie. Um, though, on to that point, I I made a note about this
1: specifically because I had the same thought. I'm like, wait a minute, that seems to go against what Shepard Book believes. But I sort of saw it as he's not necessarily going back on what he believes. He just knows Mal well enough to know that he can't convert him in his dying moment. Mm -hmm. So he's just telling him something that he
2: hopes will eventually lead him The right way. And it does. Um, Book is one of the characters that has the ability to speak into Mal's life Um, and at such a pivotal moment when he's dying he you know says something that puts Mal on a path toward his redemption uh, in the film. So it it has an effect for good uh, in his life Um, whether it is maybe the ultimate most good you know, or not. It it is a good thing. So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. If you if you watch it, like every character has something that they believe in, right? Mm-hmm. Shepherd Book believes in God. Mal believes in loyalty and protection. You know, he's like he's like mm-hmm. I look out for me and mine. You know, um, the operative believes in control and order and the alliance. Um, and as we'll talk about later, when you start to introduce. The truth, and specifically the truth about the Reavers, it changes everything. Yep. Like, everybody's belief system gets totally flipped upside down, and they then have to deal with that.
2: They, so... they go from mindless monsters to victims. And... Right. So, what about... Let's step outside of the movie
1: for a second. Um, talk to me a little bit about belief versus truth in real life, in mm. your life, mm. with your worldview, mm. which... By the way, I'll point out, Justin and I share the same worldview. We both have a Christian worldview.
2: Belief in truth. Um, I think that, uh, kind of as I was talking about correspondence, view of truth and everything, that um, belief in the right things uh, makes all the difference. Um, And I don't mean to say the right things as a crowd statement or um, a statement of power or something like that like I got all the right answers or something but just um, what you value what you pursue um, what you choose to orient your life around um, has an impact on you um, and has an impact on those around you um, so belief and if those beliefs are placed in something that is true Um, I think that it's not what we necessarily think about on a day in day out basis, but gets down to the blood and guts and most fundamental important things about our existence. Uh, When you run into a family member or friend dying or just um, a tragedy in our world, you start to ask some really big questions. About why does this matter? Why did this happen? What happens now? What does this mean? Um, and depending on what you believe, what you hold to be true, uh, you come up with some very, very different answers. So um, Joss Whedon uh, describes himself as an atheist and an absurdist, and I had never heard—I <laughs> had never heard the term absurdist before. But it's just underlining what I think naturally flows out of atheism just that there's no meta narrative, that there is yeah. no purpose like uh, kind of we're living in a chaotic world that nothing really matters yeah except for what we do like like your choices matter but not leading up to heaven or some big prize or something but just because we have the opportunity to treat people well or poorly right. um and that matters so yeah it's just yeah
1: yeah, no, I it's true. I think he he's definitely got a spiritual way about him. You know, he loves to write deep stuff. He loves to write characters that are connected to something larger than themselves. But, yeah, he doesn't seem to
2: be, <laughs> yeah. which is a weird kind of dichotomy. Yeah, but it's, it's cool that he has the courage to explore that a bit. Yeah. You know, he writes characters like Shepherd book who is a Christian he you know has a number of different um, religious things uh, depicted just in serenity but um, you know Captain America makes a comment about there's only one God and he doesn't yeah. dress like Thor <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> um, so he, he yeah he explores other things and um, I think respects other points of view and and that's just He's just a really interesting guy to me. I yeah. love that guy. Yeah. Yeah, and I
1: think that's what helps him write such a good ensemble because by respecting different points of view, he's able to write different points of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like what you said about belief and truth in truth and real life too. I think, you know, we can believe in a lot of things. Um, we can believe in government. We can believe in our relationships. We can believe in God. We can believe in our own confidence and ability um, I think at the end of the day a good measure is where does that belief get you mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. like, like you were talking about uh, a tragedy a loss um, well if you we would argue as Christians that if you believe in God then in the midst of a tragedy your belief actually brings about hope and mm-hmm. helps carry you through that because what you believe in is true
2: yeah, and then but just like kind of a counterpoint to that, or I guess not even a counterpoint, but just Paul says if the resurrection of the dead, if eternal life isn't true, then we're to be pitied among you know <laughs> right. most because we're all following a lunatic. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I feel like that would just be a very fitting Joss Whedon <laughs> moment <laughs> to throw <laughs> yeah. that in there, um, and and just going along with what you were saying that um, what we believe in. Uh, one of the reasons that kind of keeps bringing me back to the christian worldview is um the idea that god is over and outside of everything because my finances for any number of reasons can let me down Pe- oh, yeah. people for any number of reasons can let me down my job um any number of things that i could kind of believe in and trust in uh for my well-being can let me down but uh if God is good, if God is powerful, if God loves me, then that's something that won't change regardless of how other elements of my life might uh, shift and falter. Yeah, totally.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about the characters uh, within the context of belief. Uh, There's a long list here, so let's just kind of dive in and go through them. But I think it's important. I think a lot of this movie hinges on what these characters believe at the beginning of the movie, and then how they're changed after the truth of the Reavers is revealed. So let's kind of go through and talk about those a little bit. And let's start with your golden boy. Let's
2: start with your favorite. Let's talk about Mal. Absolutely. Um, So one thing, I I listened to the director's commentary um, in preparing for this podcast. And one thing that I just think (laughs) I was not being a good viewer of this movie, is I I kind of failed to realize how bad of a place Mal starts starts off in in this movie Um, because I grew to love him through the show and I knew where he ended up and so I just kind of didn't really fully take in... where he starts at the beginning of this movie. Uh, Joss Whedon put it that, you know, Mal shoots three unarmed men in this movie. Yeah. And, and that should kind of have been an indicator to me yeah. that he's not doing great, but it wasn't. Um, so at the beginning of this movie, Mal um, is in a very minimalistic survival mode um, where he's trying to protect his family, um, which is his crew. Um And even some of the people on the Serenity, some of the people on his ship, he would not actually uh, consider family um, at the beginning of the movie. So it's a very tight, protected, um, whatever needs to happen to keep these people alive and happy. Uh, Yeah, it's a very small world for him right now. He's been painted into a corner by the Alliance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can see hints of the fact that he
1: would like for his world to be bigger. Mm-hmm. I think he would like to feel like he can afford to care about the world at large and more people. But like you said, after the war, after the brown coats lost, after all the death that he's seen, uh, he's just so disillusioned that I think he just, he won't let himself do that. He feels like he can only afford to care about those immediately around him. Um, so if we had to label his worldview,
2: what would you say? Um, for one thing, I'd say he's an atheist. Uh in in his conversations with Shepherd Book, uh he says he's not interested in help from on high, he's not looking for God. Um, so that's an element of his worldview, yeah, I think I think that's true. But I get a hint that maybe it didn't used to be true. Mm. You know, like maybe it's more of a reaction to his experiences. I uh, I did not rewatch the show in preparation for this. However, I do believe he's wearing a cross in the pilot before the Battle of Serenity. Ah. Oh man, now I gotta
1: go back and watch too. Yeah, me it too. too. Okay,
2: pause on the podcast. We're gonna go. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be gone for 13 hours. We'll be back hours. in a
1: couple weeks. <laughs> um, cool. Okay, well, I, I think that wraps Mal pretty well up. So let's go to the whole other side of the spectrum. Let's talk about the operative.
2: So, what do you think about him? Um, for one thing, he doesn't have much agency in, in it of himself. He um, takes the word of his superiors as truth. Right. That is what he believes in. Um, So Mal asks him, you know, do you even know, you know, why you're doing this? And it's like, it's not my place to, you know, ask questions. And uh, another (laughs) one of his victims asks him a similar question right before he skewers him. Okay, so I love that part so much. I
1: actually wrote down the entire conversation. So let me let me read it because, because I think this speaks a lot to what you're saying. So Mal, um, you know this is this is right after a point in the movie when the Alliance and the operative have attacked Shepard Book, and his camp, and basically murdered a whole bunch of people, including
2: women and children that Mal loves. And that's only one spot. He then finds out that they've done the same thing at every single other one of their allies. Exactly. Exactly. So there comes a point where Mal and the operative
1: are having a conversation um, and Mal says, I don't murder children. And the operative says, I do if I have to. And Mal says, why? Do you even know why they sent you? And the operative says, it's not my place to ask. I believe in something greater than myself, a better world, a world without sin. And then Mal says, so me and mine got to lay down so you can live in your better world? And the operative says, and I think this is really interesting, he says, I'm a monster. What I do is evil. I have no illusions about it, but it must be done. And I think that perfectly highlights what you're talking about. He's got absolute allegiance to the Alliance, to the point where he has no name. He has no rank. He has no identity whatsoever. He is just literally inoperative. You know, he's a tool, basically. Um,
2: In every sense of the world.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So atheist is probably the only thing we can apply to him because he's the very picture of an atheist. He's completely against the idea that there's something bigger that is governing. He wants absolute control so anything
2: else you would add about the operative um just that yeah his belief isn't in god but it's in uh the potential of the government uh if they had absolute control um if the alliance had its will that that would be a utopia that it would be a world without sin right um, and we need to circle back to that later. Yeah. World without sin.
1: We definitely will. And to to kind of add to that too, another note that I had here is, I don't have the exact quote, but there's a point when he indicates that fine works are what leads to a better world or better worlds because there's more than one world mm-hmm. in this context. In the verse. In the verse, exactly. And there's also a point where he points out um, that love is more dangerous than madness mm-hmm. and so you know just anything anything that has to do with emotion or faith or belief he just completely rejects
2: yeah. and and just going back to your very first question about belief the most dangerous people um the operative included are the people that truly believe in something and are willing to fight for it
1: right okay going down the list let's talk
2: about zoe oh zoe um i think she has just not even uh stepping back from worldview i think she has two really interesting parts to her because she um is a military officer um all of her conversations um with the crew and mal um, especially when she's in front of the crew with Mal, are very matter-of-fact, straightforward. Um, as, as a communication uh, style, it would be like driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would. Um, uh, it's just very militaristic, very fact-based. Um, get the job done, make it happen. Yeah. But then when she and Mal are in private and able to have uh, a candid conversation mm-hmm. or when we see her with her husband... Um, we see her personality and just this softer side Um, and one of the things that's been remarked upon uh, ad nauseum, but you know in a good way is just that Joss writes uh, wonderful women um, as full people not as a caricature or just um, a, a sexual icon or something Even when we get to Inara, who, you know, her profession is sexuality, um, there's so much more to her than that. Um, So I just love Zoe. Um, She's tenacious and tough, but uh, soft and uh, vulnerable. Um, Just an incredible character. But I don't really feel like I have a, a sense of what she believes about the world as a whole.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think my sense for Zoe is that if not for Wash, she would be almost exactly like Mal. Because mm-hmm. she's been through the same things. She's seen the same ugliness. She fought right alongside him. And so it would stand a reason that she would have all the same disillusionment and all the same darkness to deal with. But she found Wash and that's her husband and she got married and she has that relationship and so she has this other side of life that helps her escape from all that junk that she's been through and I think any of us who are married can relate to that Mm. (laughs) but um, and I think so I'll kind of segue into Wash here because I was surprised as I was watching Serenity Okay, let me back up a little bit to explain this. When I first went and saw Serenity in the theater, the very first time, I went with a group of friends, and I had been a huge fan of Firefly. Like, I loved it. And Wash was my favorite character on the show. I don't know if it was because he was funny, or I I really like what Alan Tudyk does. I just think he's a funny guy, but Wash was my favorite. And so, spoiler alert, at the end of Serenity, when Wash dies that actually hit me really hard. And I think my friends made fun of me after the movie because I was actually a little bit down about it, you know, and they were like, you're stupid, it's a movie. I'm like, but it's Wash, you know? And uh, it bugged me. And so going back and watching the movie this time, I was kind of surprised that Wash almost seems like he's there to balance Zoe and that's kind of it other than a couple of jokes. Like, he is not as important a character in the movie as he was on the show. And I was like, wow, that's weird, (laughs) you know, to kind of notice that now
2: after all this time. And I think um, the reason for that is because he has just about no connection to the Alliance. Right. And uh, all the major contributors, the, you know, primary characters are all products of the alliance in one way or another um and so he just doesn't he's part of the ship that's running from the alliance but that's it so yeah yeah he, he's he's more of a background character in the movie even though what he contributes is wonderful yeah
1: so it's it's kind of hard to attribute a worldview to him but I th- I think there probably is some element of belief in something bigger than him in him because um, just because of his loyalty to his wife, because of his sensibility. Like, he's not quite as dramatic as the other characters. He's a little bit more grounded. I think he sees hope in things yep. a little bit more easily. Um, yep. And I think there's a little bit of artistry in him, too, mm. as the pilot, which you kind of see right before he dies with the whole I'm a leaf on the wind. Yep.
2: You know? Um I was going to use the word hope and just joy and he's a very winsome character. Um you you want to hang out with Wash, which isn't true of some of the other characters. Yeah. Definitely. All right, cool. Well, hey, speaking of some of the other characters, hey. let's continue Ooh, down the line. Great transition.
1: <laughs> let's talk about River and Simon.
2: Yay, the Tams. Yes. Um so I was just thinking about how uh, Simon, in one of the flashbacks in an episode, was played by Zac Efron, and that cracked me up for some reason. Um, Wait, but, what? Yeah, he's played by Zac Efron in a, a random episode where you flash back to their childhood. Really? Yeah. Not in the movie, but, you know, it just cracked me up. Zach Efron. Zach Efron. Wow. Pre okay. high school musical, <laughs> pre neighbors, and all that. Oh, um, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> so the Tams, uh, they come from wealth. Uh, they are very well off financially. They are both brilliant, um, uh, especially before. River is psychologically messed with by the Alliance. Um, They come from the background of the Alliance. They come from the elitist uh, society and they have everything going for them, Um, but their priorities are family and each other. And so as soon as River is in trouble, uh, Simon throws everything else out the window To go save her. Um, So I think that uh, you'd need to make the argument that with uh, Simon's medical background that he's probably a naturalist. um, But uh, he has a deep love of his sister. That's not just something that he says, but that he does. You see it throughout the movie, throughout the show, uh, him trying to protect her and care for her.
1: Yeah. And I wish we got to see a little bit more of their background in the movie. Because in the show, you really get it. You really get a sense of he's basically sacrificing his entire place in society just to protect his sister. Um, Yeah, I think naturalist is a good description for him. River, I think, is a different animal. It's hard to kind of judge River because, like you said, her mind is so messed with. And um, she's got all these hallucinations and voices in her head and all this stuff that she's dealing with i feel like every now and then we kind of get through that and get a little glimpse at who she might be and there's one small moment in the movie where i think it's when they're learning about the reavers and they're on the planet they're on miranda and they're around all of the people who have just let themselves die you know And there's a part where she just kind of like curls up in a ball and in a moment of desperation she says, please God, make me a stone. So I think that might be a little hint that maybe she has a little bit more belief in her than Simon does. Because I feel like that was more of a true personality moment than some of the other kind of weird mumbo jumbo that she says throughout Mm -hmm. the movie. So I don't know. What do you think about River?
2: Uh, I, I would echo a lot of what you said. That because of her background, because of how much has been uh, inflicted upon her, uh, against her will, um, it's really hard. I don't think she knows herself. And so it's hard for us to know much about her. But I, I agree that at that moment, that's a desperate prayer. Um, and so whether that is just someone saying something out of uh, an extreme moment, like some people, would say, oh, my God, that don't believe God exists. Right. Or if that um, is going to a place where uh, when she was younger, um, she had some sort of relationship with God. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I
1: think, and we'll talk a little bit more about belief and truth in a world without sin, and we'll kind of get to that a little bit more, but I think part of the journey of belief and truth in this movie is what happens to these characters when they find the truth about the Reavers. And in some ways, River is more advanced than any of them mm. because she has a little bit of that in her already. Mm-hmm. And that truth is so dark and so ugly that there's going to be a rough journey for anybody that has to go through that. Mm-hmm. And you can see River's already going through a rough journey, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, in some ways, Even though her brain is so scrambled and it seems like she doesn't know what's going on, you kind of get the sense that she knows more of what's going on than anybody else does.
2: Yeah, Um, when they come into contact with the Reavers the first time in the movie, um, and then one of them gets aboard the Serenity and they kill it, um, she makes the comment, they, they never lie down. And yeah. that's because it's Which in is contrast a look ahead. Yeah. yeah, and so there were pieces of the she had all the pieces of the puzzle she just couldn't see it, whereas no one else had the pieces yet, yeah, and so she, yeah, and all of her dreams were super dark and starting to allude to what was happening, so she knew it, but it was just so scrambled. it was yeah. so so many uh mixed up wires and everything yeah, and there's other little hints too, like
1: when they're in the beginning, when they're about to go out on the heist and um you know she's coming down from the rafters and mal says do you understand your role in all this and she just kind of looks at him and says do you yeah you know that kind of gives you a little hint too so
2: river's a fun character she is and she is so cool she is so much fun to watch even when she's just beating up innocent bystanders I can't help but sort of cheer for her. Yeah. Um, And then I'm so happy that I can just out and out cheer for her when she's beating up Reavers.
1: Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And a good bit of casting, too. Like, we don't typically talk about a lot of that stuff in this podcast. But her background, it was uh, Summer Glau, I believe is her name. Mm -hmm. Her background is a dancer. Yep. Ballet. Like, she's this very graceful creature. And Joss
2: knew that and so he casts her to basically beat a whole bunch of people
1: up but in a way that looks so cool
2: yeah uh so she's able to do things with her body and for longer periods of time than most any other actor or action star can right, right. and so uh some of the scenes of her beating up the people at the bar um and uh destroying the reavers i uh, have fairly extended takes because she treated it she treated this uh fight choreography more or less his dance choreography and yeah. just makes it work and makes it look awesome totally. so totally okay so let's go to the
1: complete extreme you know we're talking about river who is this creature of grace let's talk about jane Ugh, <laughs> shiny <laughs> the exact opposite
2: um jane <laughs> man jane uh Truly he's he's in the running for me for favorite characters. Not because really? I, I oh, man. oh man, I just love watching him. He is a wild card that I don't think like him at all. Yeah. So I just love the way that he approaches life and problems as a viewer. I would hate <laughs> to have him as a roommate. Oh, <laughs> I would gosh. I would hate to, you know, be in relationship with him. So uh worldview uh, he's narcissistic. He just is. Um, he, yeah. you know, he, he uh, is at the climax of the movie, um, he's trying to make sure they're well defended. Zoe makes some comment about like, do you think any of us will actually get through this? And he's like, well, I bye, might. Bye. Yeah. And that, that <laughs> would be a good thing if he were the only survivor. Yeah. Um, and he is, you know, ready to betray people as soon as... They're inconvenient to him. So Jane is the most important person to Jane, um, right. and there are absolutely uh, moments when he cares about something bigger. Uh, but in general, he's he's a narcissist, yeah. and I don't know if uh, he would believe or trust in anything other than him, really. Totally. Um, uh, you know, he he respects Mal. I think as long as it serves his purposes and then when it starts not serving his purposes whether it's in the movie or in the show uh, we see the choices he makes
1: yeah yeah, and I wish that was one thing that they could have squeezed a little bit more into the movie because in the show you get to see an arc for him like there are moments when he does betray Mal Mm -hmm. but you kind of get to see him grow into this person that would not do that anymore Mm -hmm. in the movie you don't really get that um I Jane is probably my least favorite character just because I don't like watching him. I, he's not fun to watch. But he brings about one of my favorite moments in the movie. I wish I could remember what he says. Maybe you'll remember. But it's a point where they're all sort of... It's at the cusp when they're trying to decide what they're going to do. They've learned this truth, you know. And Jane says something completely disrespectful to Mal... As a soldier, and as everything that he went through, he basically says something that totally dishonors what he, Mal and Zoe
2: did. He, I forget he, what it is. Do you remember? He said, uh, "Hey, Mal. Other than you and Zoe, how many people made it out of the Battle of Serenity yes. alive?" And, and the answer we know, as the viewer, is zero. Right. Right. And then, what a ridiculous thing to
1: say! And but that creates one of my favorite moments in the movie, where you really see Zoe and Mal's true colors. Mm-hmm. Everything goes dead silent. And they just pan in on Zoe, and she says, "You want to leave this room because yeah. he just crossed the line." Yeah, and I love that moment in the movie. So I don't like him, but I love that he creates moments like that. Yeah, you know.
2: Um, how about Kaylee? Kaylee, <laughs> I, uh, I so value her. Um, she is fun. She is spunky. Um, this is another example. Uh, You know, and I'll stop talking about this, but Joss uh, really does justice um, to women, not making them one-dimensional, because it would have been really easy for someone to just uh, make her fawning over Simon, and that's it. But she's also this super competent mechanic, um, and one of the connecting people of the show to each other. Early in the show, uh, she gets injured and obviously makes it through to the movie. Um, but it brings everyone together, um, yeah. uh, saving her life, um, and so she is an incredibly important character in um, in that family in that crew. Um, as far as worldview, um, yeah, I don't even know. Uh, she uh, is very. Practical, but she's also a romantic. So she she has those two parts of her going that she she wants to be just swept off her feet by Simon, and uh, she's keeping uh, the ship in the air. She's keeping serenity flying. Um, so there's a very grounded <laughs> nature to her, just in that she knows how to uh, make sure that the gears keep turning and mm-hmm. the engine stays yeah. lit. But um, but then also just a, a, a real need to be loved and cared for. Um, so, but going back to worldview, I don't know, I don't know where I'd put her.
1: Yeah, I, she's hard to categorize. I think she's really hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think she's really open. So I, the best term I could kind of come up with is maybe she's a searcher mm. or a seeker. I don't know, you know? Like yeah. Maybe she doesn't know, but she's open. To learning what she is, because she's also young. You know, mm-hmm. she's probably the youngest. Well, except for maybe River, but yeah, she's one of the youngest people on the ship. Yep. But like you said, she is the picture of hope on that ship. She keeps mm-hmm. the she keeps Firefly in the air. Um. She has hope in a relationship with Simon. She has hope for Mal and Anara. Mm. Um, and she's just always. She seems to be sort of the. The hopeful glue of the team Mm. I think
2: yeah anything else on her for you um it's not as focused on in the movie because you can't focus on everything but um there's differences in each of their quarters and so she lives in the engine room um but she has made this really cold space very warm yeah um and very personal and so that's kind of one of the fun things of like seeing everyone's space as a reflection of their character. Um, very hopeful, very bright. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, she's a brilliant mechanic. Totally. So. Yeah. Okay.
1: We're getting down there. We're, we've only got a couple left. This awesome. Is a long list of characters. Um,
2: so, Inara. Let's talk about Inara. Okay. One thing that I wouldn't have known, I don't think from the show, uh, is that she's a Buddhist. Apparently to some extent. Yeah, um, because the statue and the incense. Yep, the and incense. I'm and, praying
1: for you, Mal. Yep, yeah.
2: and uh, so I don't know how much of that is her belief and how much of that is kind of the companion way. Yeah. But um, but at the very least, there's something about Buddhism that help, helps her maintain the calm and the presence that she has Um, and so there's, she believes in some higher power, you know, something bigger than her. Yeah. Um, and just as uh, a person, it's really interesting. Um, people have compared Serenity to, you know, a Western Mm -hmm. as a Western in space. Right. And so one thing that, um, could be just a normal trope of a Western is, uh, the whore with the heart of gold, right. the, the yeah. prostitute, yeah. which which Inara totally falls under to a certain extent, except that um, in this world, companion is a super respected, that's the um, weirdest thing, very about it. high yes. class um, thing that um, elevates the whole crew of Serenity and opens up doors because um, they she's very respected for her profession. Um, and respected within her profession. Um, so it's it's another really interesting way of looking at a character and uh, what they do and what they stand for and just that it's uh, a little different than how we have seen that role, you know, the oldest profession yeah. historically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I think, and especially with kind of the weird dichotomy of the companion and stuff like that. Um, you know, you talked about Joss's ability to write women. And this is another one of the points that keeps the movie from jumping up to a 10 for me because there's just not enough time to see Anara's full character in this movie. You get more of it in the TV show. But in the movie, she's kind of like Wash for Zoe. She's more of a device for Mal's journey than for her own because right? she's the way that the operative can get to Mal and stuff like that and then there's the whole thing where everybody in this movie seems to recognize her profession as high society high class very respectable except Mal mm-hmm. and it's because you know, he wants her for himself mm-hmm. he loves her which I think we get enough of in this movie to, to see there's more of it in the show obviously but I think we get it here too so yeah, I agree with you. She definitely believes in something. It seems something along the lines of Buddhism, but she definitely believes in something bigger than herself. I mm-hmm. think because she kind of lives her whole life for other people mm-hmm. in a really inappropriate way, but still, you know. So yeah, okay. We have one more character to talk about, and as we talk about belief and truth, I think this is going to be one of the most interesting ones. But Shepherd
2: Book. Yeah. Hmm. Shepherd Book, um, he is uh, a character that um, I think I'm. Uh, when we think about characters that were killed off, I think I miss Wash more than I miss Book. Yeah, me too. But I wish I knew more about Book than I am curious about Wash's life.
1: Yeah, we know enough about Wash. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and so, uh, book um, he you know alludes to a number of things. But just to start with one line, he says, you know, I wasn't born a shepherd. Uh, so that that's saying two things. He is a shepherd. Uh, he holds to Christian tenets. Uh, in the show, we see him preaching that, praying for people, um, and uh, he's you know becomes a very trusted person for Mal. And again, going back to Joss Whedon and how awesome he is, um, I really value that even though Book's uh, view of the world isn't the same as Joss's, it's very respected and honored. Um, some characters uh, you know, will talk down about it or uh, make a joke at Book's expense, but all of them respect Book. Um, right. He's not a throwaway character. Um, he's he's well-loved, well-respected, and very listened to. Yeah. Um, In leading up to the climax of the movie, Jane references Book. So, I mean, Book has had an impact even on Jane. Yes. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, and I like, too, that he gives him history
1: to justify who he is. Like, Mm. he's not just sort of this blind follower, you know. You really get a sense that, He's been through some stuff in his life that's just as tough, if not tougher, than what Mal is going through now, and he's come out of it on the other end believing in God. Yeah. So I think, like you said, though Joss is not a believer in God, that's a huge amount of respect to put into a character who is a believer in God. Yeah. So I like that a lot too.
2: And it should be said there's a comic book story of books past and I like it, but I don't know. I don't always treat it as canon, even though it is, just because it doesn't totally line up with some things with, for me. But did Joss write it or did his brother write it? I think his brother, okay. but <laughs> it's still, you know, kind of uh, given the the Whedon stamp of approval. Um, but um, at the very least, it, it explains a little bit. In the show, at one point, he flashes his ID uh, to some alliance people and they immediately respect him and rush him into a hospital So it kind of explains a little bit of why that is. Yeah Um, and again, it doesn't totally line up for me I like to think that he was trained as an operative. Yeah, that's kind of my own you kinda personal get some take, hints of that but uh, but at least according to the comic book. It, that's not the case.
1: Yeah Okay, all right, well I think that's a pretty darn thorough discussion of the characters in this movie. Mm. Obviously, there are more characters, but I think those are the important ones.
2: Yeah, Uh, just as a side comment, um, Mr. Universe seems to um, be a follower of Judaism. Um, at least to a certain extent because in that uh, shot of him marrying his love bot, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he steps on that glass which which is uh, a traditional representation from that religion. So it's just interesting how many different uh, religions are are not necessarily spotlighted but um, incorporated into the film.
1: Fair enough. Okay, why don't we transition? I want to talk a little bit about Mal and the operatives specifically. So I think... In the context of truth and belief, mm-hmm. I think they're coming from completely opposite sides. Yeah. Um, neither of them have the truth. Neither of them know where the Reavers come from. Um, we've Okay, really quickly, we've referenced that so many times that we haven't come out and said it. In case for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the movie, but you're listening to this and having it spoiled for you, this quick second is for you. The Reavers are the villains in this movie, and the big reveal we learn is that the Reavers were created by the Alliance in sort of an experiment gone wrong. So that is the big dark truth that they're hiding. Um, Okay, so back to the other stuff. (laughs)
2: Stop. Backtrack.
1: Yes. So neither Mal or the Operative know this. but. They are coming from such completely opposite sides. So the operative believes in government. He believes in the alliance. He believes in control and order and that people need to be governed and there needs to be structure to create this world without sin. And individuality and freedom are not part of that. Mal is on the complete other side of that. He believes only in individuality and freedom. He believes only in taking care of me and mine He doesn't care about government. He doesn't care about law. You know, they're thieves, basically. That's how they make their living. That's how they eat. And so, completely two different sides. Yet, both of them are completely 100% sold out to their side. Mm -hmm. You know? So, that's what I think makes them such interesting opponents Mm -hmm. in this movie.
2: So, what do you think? Another thing that, you know, we'll probably go into later, but just that the operative is a man that can be swayed in his belief makes him interesting to me mm. at the end. Yeah. Um, because with most villains, you just have to kill them. Like in, <laughs> in, in movies, yeah. you just have to kill them. Um, so it's fascinating to me that the operative is not killed, um, but his fundamental uh, view of the world... Uh, gets shattered he doesn't know what to do after that but he knows not to do what he was doing
1: right totally totally yeah it's like the revelation of the reavers for him it totally destroys his world Mm -hmm. and it forces him to look at individuality Mm -hmm. a little bit um because now he's on the run i mean you get the sense that he's on the run obviously i think if the alliance finds him he's probably dead (laughs) you know The nice thing is the Alliance has trained him so well, they probably won't find him. (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, the truth really sets both him and Mal on a journey, very different journeys. So it's weird in a sense because, you know, Mal is so desperate to maintain freedom, yet when this truth comes out, it really gives him more freedom because it finally lets him break out of his shell of, I can't care about anything other than those people right around me. It helps him realize that there are bigger things, more important things and other people in the world to fight for. And he can be, you know, he can be more globally minded. Yep. So I think that's kind of the truth setting him free. Whereas for the operative, it's a little bit more literal, literal, obviously, (laughs) because you know, now he knows the truth, so he's no longer part of the Alliance. And now he has to learn how to be a person, mm-hmm. basically. Which I wish we got to see more of. I really do. Of everything else that happens in this movie, I would have loved a sequel or even just a movie about the operative. Like, I love that character so much.
2: An so, operative epilogue? Yeah. Uh, I. We start the show with Mao fighting for... Everybody. We start the show with him being Firefly, in the, in the war yeah, um, to keep independence, keep freedom. Right. Um, I think he becomes so beaten down, he doesn't know how to do that anymore, so the scope just gets so much smaller. So like you're saying, that truth about the Reavers gives him, in a sense, another weapon, an- some more ammo to help more people. Yeah. Um, and because his fundamental belief... Uh, Joss compared the speech uh, before the big fight to the St. Crispin's Day speech um, that he, the alliance believes they can make people better right and, and he says I do not hold to that yeah <laughs> um, and so he is able to show people and communicate again um, people are good the way they are uh, don't meddle um, right, and that gives him an opportunity uh, I think he would have wanted to fight for everyone anyways that's what he volunteered for but that gives him another tangible way to make that argument to uh, help yeah so okay
1: you said something in there that leads really well into my next question you used the word I, metal ooh. so um, kind of my last big question here has to do with uh the alliance and the you know the what they call savages on the outer planets and stuff like that you know basically government and resistance to government in the beginning of the movie river refers to the alliance as meddlesome um so kind of the question i'm looking at here is you know this movie seems to put it out there that freedom and independence come from opposition to government. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you feel about that? How do you feel like that plays out in the movie? How do you
2: feel... What does that look like in real life? Yeah. Um, Just going to our country and the history of our country, our country was created fundamentally to experience greater freedom. Yeah. Um, That there were other governments that were a little too meddlesome and uh people wanted greater freedom so they separated themselves uh distance wise and um and made a new way of life um so i think that there is precedent for uh resistance against um a government that is um meddling that's that's becoming too involved. Uh, I think that you know that's a that's a good thing to resist um, and I also think that part of this when played out to the nth degree um, is also where Joss and I have separate on views <laughs> yeah. because um, if going back to you know just fundamental beliefs, if God exists, if God, Has a plan for us. If God knows how things will best operate, then there is a better way to do things than there than other ways. Right. Um, So you know, I don't know if now would be a good time to talk about you know the world without sin and all of that. But um, Mal doesn't seem phased by sin or you know like he you know he says i'm a fan of all seven you know um right so and
1: i think for him it might even be that he doesn't even see it as sin exactly he sees it as he lives in this world where he has to take care of himself and the people that he loves no matter what so the ends
2: justify the means it's no longer sin it's like self-defense yeah and also just um he's not uh, i think joss describes um in the director's commentary as, uh, that sin is an archaic concept Mm. that doesn't really apply anymore. Um, that's what he
1: says is true in the context of the
2: movie or he thinks that's true in life. Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. And, um, and so if you did not believe in God, then there is no place to tell people how they should be living. Yeah. Um, if you didn't believe in God, there's no place to define sin you know, mm-hmm. um, if there's no ultimate real standard then everyone should be totally free to do whatever they want it's all relative, yeah, yeah. and so that is where Mal's coming from you know, that there is no sin, there is no right. God you know, and within s- his circumstance everything he's doing is justified Right. Yeah. and so, that's where, yeah, Joss and I, you know agree on some things and then completely disagree on other things because, um, I do think there's a way for people to live that is better and more healthy for them. Um, and will work out better for them, uh, based on what God says about how he made us and how he made the world. Um, which, you know, if God exists, then that'll make sense. But again, you know, if God doesn't exist, then there's no basis for any of that. So it, it just becomes an interesting uh conversation. So, you know, we hear a world without sin, and from like the Christian perspective, you start thinking about heaven. Like that's the only place where that's gonna exist. Yeah. In the world of Firefly, a world without sin is only where everyone's dead. That's mm. the only he says, I'm gonna show you a world without sin. Here it is, everyone's dead. Mm. Happy now? And that's that's the only way to think about a world without sin, where everyone's just a mindless drone, or they all lay down and die. Hmm. Um, so a world without sin is very hopeful to the Christian context, but in the Firefly universe, it's a bad thing, ultimately. See, that's really interesting, because I took it...
1: Differently. Oh. So, okay, so are you are you talking that you're thinking about that part at the end of the movie where Mal says to the operative, I'm gonna grant your greatest wish. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna show you a world without sin. And then he shows him the
2: footage from Murray. Yeah.
1: That's so interesting because I take that as what he means is by exposing the truth of the Reavers, he is opening everybody up to this truth and in a way sort of giving everybody a chance to move beyond this great sin that has occurred. Mm. So to me, I almost saw it as the world without sin is a world where people can finally move on past this truth of
2: the Reavers. Kind of like a world without secrets or something like that? Yeah,
1: kind of something like that. I guess I took it a little bit more figuratively. Mm. So that's really interesting, though. I like, wow, okay. I, I, might, I might subscribe to your take on it a little bit more now that I've heard it. <laughs> 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 I like that. Um, in our worldview, a world without sin is just not something that government could possibly create, yeah. nor is it something that opposition to government could possibly create because individuality is not the answer either because yeah. that's just self-focused. But, you know, we are called to submit to our leaders and we're called to respect our government, which sometimes and even now is really hard to do. <laughs> So, yeah, I was I was thinking about this whole, you know, the alliance control and individuality fighting it. It's really relevant to what's going on right now mm. in our political world. And this isn't a political podcast, but we can talk about that a little bit. I'm just kind of curious.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I'm thankful this isn't a political podcast because I'd be a horrible guest for that. I so don't stay I. up to date. <laughs> no, I not Or have well formed. Let's talk about movies again. Um, But that's the
1: thing, like, even now today, I'm the same thing. I don't follow it, I don't read up on it, I don't study it. But things are so tense right now that you don't have to. No. It's in your face.
2: Yeah, and I live in a weird, interesting world where um, my Facebook uh, feed is split between, um, I guess, three different groups. Uh, one is, uh, some conservative people that I, I have been friends with on Facebook that are supporters of Trump, some like current friends that are conservatives, but don't support Trump. And then, um, my friends at Disneyland that are much more liberal. So I have such a weird Facebook thread, like yeah. feed. It's really interesting. Um, but oh, I like the idea of the brown coats. I like that Mal continues to wear his brown coat throughout the entire show. Um, he is sort of always fighting a battle, um, always, even when it's not an official war. And But he's always standing up for himself and other people. Um, and I um, hope that um, I can always be a person that will uh, look at greater context of different things um, and never be so aligned with any <laughs> buddy or any group that I'm unable to then uh, stand up for others um, so I like I just like that Mal he's not uh, a great picture of altruism you know especially starting the movie um, but he really does, uh, speak up for the people that can no longer speak for themselves um, and uh, so I like What he stands for in that sense we need people um, To be a voice for the voiceless. We need people um, That aren't only allegiant to one side or the other um, like the operative um, But we need people that uh, can sift through it and um, yeah so so mr. universe says you know there's a truth in the signal you can't stop the signal Um, it's so interesting now with the internet uh, that just information is so readily available and everyone can know anything Um, so yeah I just I hope to be someone that yeah will continue to search out the truth and stand up for what is good and right um, whether that's the most popular thing or not sure Totally. I think another thing that I
1: like in Mal, and even in the beginning of the movie, um, you know, for me and all of the stuff that's going on and all of the arguments and all of the protesting, um, so many different opinions. Like I'm like you. I have friends who are against Trump. I have friends who support Trump. Um, And I'm not even trying to come out and say, you know, you have to think like I think. But I think an important thing is how we treat people in the midst of all of this uproar. Mm -hmm. And I think Mal's a good picture of that. I think, you know, coming out of a war and in the midst of this crazy controlling alliance and everything that he's going through, he sort of reduces himself down to loving the people that are immediately around him, you know? And yeah, he does need to grow beyond that as well, but... I think that's such an important thing to remember that when there's all this arguing going on, and when you have people that you really care about who may think differently than you do, you have to remember to come back to love. You know, I think how we treat people around us is such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think maybe sometimes that tends to get lost as everybody's thinking globally and you know thinking. And with a protest mindset or like, how do we change the world, you know? And it's like, well, love your friends, you know? (laughs) Love the people who think differently than Mm -hmm. you do. I think Mal's a good picture of
2: that Uh, in some ways. In other ways, not at all. But in some ways, he is. Yeah, but then again, um, at the end, he doesn't kill the operative when he has every opportunity to. um, And I don't think it's because he agrees with his view of the world. Um, but he values him enough as a person to present him with more information. Um, and you know, after <laughs> stabbing each other and <laughs> all of that, but yeah.
1: Yeah, hmm. definitely. Wow. I think, I think we may be wrapping this up. Cool. Is there anything else that you've been dying to get out? Anything else on your mind? There are two the things
2: on my mind. Uh, <laughs> three things. Thank you, Daryl, for having me here. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, the word serenity, I just wanted to look at that for a second because yeah. it's the name of the boat, it's the name of the ship, Yep. it's also the name of the last horrific battle that Mal was involved in, mm-hmm. but then it's also just a word meaning peace. And right. so it's fascinating to me that at the end of the movie, especially flying through the storm coming to the clear skies, um, they really do come to a place of peace. So for the movie... Um, the term Serenity is coming from the Battle of Serenity on the ship Serenity to a state of Serenity. Yeah. So just the, the title is incredibly apt. It um, kind of
1: makes you wonder why they didn't just call the TV show Serenity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They call it Firefly, which is the class of the ship yeah. rather than the name of the ship. It's a great
2: question. I hadn't asked that question. But
1: there's some poetry in that too because some Serenity came about by making the movie. Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
1: everybody was so upset that this story didn't get continued, and Joss kind of got to conclude it in a way. You know, maybe didn't satisfy everybody, but he got to do something, which is more than anybody could have expected. Mm. So there's a little poetry in that, too.
0: Mm.
2: And then the third thing is just that I was introduced to the world. I didn't get to see it in the theaters. I didn't know about the show. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. So I was introduced to the movie... After it was on Blu-ray, when I so the first thing I saw was the scene when they crash um, was part of like the promo reel on loop at the Best Buy I worked at when I worked in the um, <laughs> oh, no. when I worked in the home theater department. So I saw that crash any number of times. Did it have the death in it? Did it have Washington? No, death in it? Okay. it cuts right before that. Right. It cuts right after the ship settles, like literally thirty seconds before right. the death. All right. Um, but then I walked into the break room and watched the end of that movie. So the first thing I saw of that movie was the end of the movie. Then I went back and watched the whole show and everything. Oh, man. So okay. the the death of Washington hit me very hard because I knew about it from the very beginning. Fair enough. but fair yeah. enough.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's a totally different perspective because I'm the exact opposite. I saw the whole TV series multiple times before the movie ever came out. Mm. So, for me, it really was kind of this awesome accomplishment that we finally get more serenity. You know, we get more Firefly stories. So, and I know we have comics, but man, it's just not quite the same because there's no Nathan Fillion, there's no Alan Tudor. You know, it's such a great cast, too. Yeah. That's another big part of it. So, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks thanks for for being my first guest. Yes, absolutely.
2: (laughs) I hope that I set a high bar for the rest of your guests. Yeah,
1: everybody else is in trouble. (laughs) They should be very, very afraid. So uh, that's it for this edition of the Story Geeks podcast. Uh, Stay tuned. I think Jay's going to have some more information for you guys following this.
0: And uh, thanks for listening. That's it for today's podcast. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes below. Or you can always check out our community on MZ.com. MZ is a new friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. Um, Also, if you'll do us a favor and give us a review on iTunes, um, I'm told that the more reviews you have on iTunes, the more potential listeners you can get. And don't forget, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of those links are in the show notes. So make sure you follow us there. Um, Also, Let us know what you'd like us to review and discuss next. What sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book story should we tackle? That's it for today's show. And remember, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.